0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Happy Monday. Happy Memorial Day. I have my thin orange line hat here for Memorial Day. So, welcome, welcome. Being Monday is my free newsletter day. So, if you want to sign up for that, you can go to bitcoinandmarkets.com. That's what we're going to go over today. Uh, So, let's jump right into it. Share screen. We will be going over the price, we will be going over all sorts of uh, Macro news, Bitcoin news, all sorts of stuff. Here is bitcoinandmarkets.com, fundamentals report. Oh, I did make the de-dollarization and inflation post uh, uh, out to the public, I guess, accessible to the public. Because it did go out first to my paid members here on Bitcoin and Markets, but it is now free for everybody. So every week I start off with a meme. and. I probably have used this meme before. It's a pretty common meme out there in Bitcoin, but it is important, especially after the conference last week uh, or two weeks ago now, and uh, Bitcoin's bull market perhaps starting off anew, this meme is very appropriate. So most people think that Bitcoin is part of crypto when in reality, crypto is part of the legacy system. It's just another scam of the legacy system where Bitcoin is something unique. So, Bitcoin is uh, out there by itself. It is not part of crypto. Okay. Every week, I start off with a snapshot of Bitcoin. And this is, uh, I tried to cover all the bases here in just a real quick table. So, you can see the weekly trend we bounced on support. We're going to take a look at that um, chart here in a few minutes. The media sentiment, I've Finally going positive on this. Um, again, this is not scientific. It's just my own personal uh, evaluation of the market. It, it was extremely negative there for six months to even a year. And now it's starting to go past neutral into the slightly positive category due to things like the new budget is not does not have that Dame tax, the Bitcoin mining tax in there. So we're going to cover that news as well here. Just slightly positive for the media sentiment. Network traffic is still high. It keeps actually ticking higher and higher. Um, if we go down here a little bit on the table, you can see the mempool is at 220, up this week from last week at 215. However, the fees are still very manageable, as you can see. So, network traffic is high. Mining industry is stable. Price section, uh, price went up. Seven hundred and sixty-six dollars from the last report, almost three percent. We had that big bump yesterday. Markets are closed today, so you know uh, we're not seeing any sort of reaction from the stock market right now. Uh, but we are seeing that Bitcoin is kind of catching up to where the stock market was on Friday, and we'll we'll see that in the charts. Market cap. Over half a trillion still satoshis per dollar thirty six twenty six and one finny, which is my preferred new unit bias kind of denomination one ten thousandth of a bitcoin, is two dollars and seventy six cents. Mining sector is last adjustment was up two point or sorry three point two percent. This next estimated adjustment in two days is has really picked up over the last week. It was going to be about even. On last week's report, this week's report, we're, we're showing about a 2.6% increase in two days. Mempool, like I said, is 220 megabytes. This will be different depending on how your settings on your node and uh, that, they, that type of stuff. But according to mempool.space, that is where they have it at 220. Fees for the next block, 193. That is very reasonable considering that it's 220 megabytes in the mempool. And we'll see a color chart of that from mempool space here in a second. Median fee, that's to get into the next several blocks, like I think next, within an hour. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that uh, cutoff line is, but it's $1.85 to get in the next few blocks. Lightning capacity actually was a surprise this week since the mempool is so full, but fees are down, right? So, I talked about this um a few weeks ago when we had the really high fees and lightning capacity was starting to drain off and channels were being closed and not reopened and stuff but now as the fees have come down we're starting to see a slight rebound in the capacity and channels on the lightning network capacity is up 25 bitcoins from last issue and the channels over 100 new channels have been opened uh, you know in aggregate so Next section, in case you missed it, like I said, de-dollarization and inflation. I want to fo- write a follow-up report to this or a follow-up post that is de-dollarization and Bitcoin. Because in this post, let's see, should I just bring it up? I'll open it up in a new tab. And I'm really proud of this one. Um, so, sorry, my dog's barking at someone out the window here. Um, Standby. All right. I hope she doesn't bother us anymore, but we'll see. It's my daughter's dog. When we moved down to Florida, I baited her with getting a new dog. And so when we moved down here, we had to get this little scrappy dog, uh, you know, the tiny heel biting dogs. And she likes to bark at everything out the window. Okay. So about this post here, just wanted to do a quick review of it. The money ties that bind. So there is a huge convergence effect with the dollar and That should not be underestimated. Um, There's also this like the U.S. military is backing the dollar, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's mostly network effects, and I go into that some here. Um, Breaking out of those network effects is extremely difficult because if the system is functioning well, there is no good reason to leave. However, if the system is not functioning well or starts to actively work against your interest, it means you are in poor economic shape to venture out on your own. The game theory is against you. So all this talk about de-dollarization is backwards, I think. Uh, Going on to the next section, it's the fragility of globalization. So really the globalization, breakdown of globalization, is what's pushing uh, dollar reserves down and causing a de-dollarization pressure. So that is where it's coming from. It's not coming from people hating on the evil American capitalists that brought more people out of poverty than ever in human history in the last 50 years, you know, on and on and on about how much the world has benefited from the U.S.-led order. It's not that people, yeah, just recently they've started seizing funds and and doing things with sanctions and all that. But in reality, if there was a different hegemon, would it be any different? No. No. Look how China treats their own damn people. A Chinese-led order is going to be way worse than an American-led order, for sure. So um, anyway, the it's not driven by people hating Americans. It's driven by a deglobalizing pressure that's adding to this de-dollarization. Okay, Um, going into the inflation part. um, So people think that we need to get used to higher than expected inflation because we've been too used to sub two percent um but for this argument to be true the source of dollars has to be the u.s so you know that people are de-dollarizing so all that those dollars are going to stay here or come back here but for that to be true the u.s has to be the main source of dollars which they are not the u.s is only what 20 to 25 percent of global gdp the rest of that global GDP is outside the United States and they're printing dollars out there. So no, the dollars are created everywhere around the world, not just in the U S. However, if that's the case, um, it creates a a demand for U S trade deficits. Uh, Let me see how I get into this. So I know I talk about principal and interest. So pretty much if you create a dollar loan outside of the United States, you have to repay principal and interest. So you have to pay back the dollars plus more dollars. So it creates an inherent uh, need for more dollars. How, How do you get those dollars? Either you can continue printing with, you know, more loans outside the United States, inside of your country, wherever you are. But that's probably not the case if you're sliding into recession if you're in a bad economy there's actually going to be less dollar creation in your foreign economy Um, the other way is to trade trade for it because everybody's printing dollars everywhere so you can go into the international markets and you can trade for your exports for dollars so it's not that the u.s military or anybody imposed a dollar standard it's that the um these people want to use dollars so that they can pay off their dollar-denominated debt. And the last way that they do this is they is U.S. trade deficits. So that's just the, the uh, tertiary way that they get dollars to pay off their dollar-denominated debts. Um, I mean, it's an important way, but it is uh, just a third way to do it. And so that has pressured the U.S. into trade deficits. And you know, people will these other countries have competed to be low-cost labor, to be these different parts of the supply chain. But as the supply chain breaks down, there's going to be less dollars coming out of the United States, less dollar creation within these foreign countries, et cetera, et cetera. The dollar should go up. So, anyway, uh, my conclusion here, if you want, I recommend reading the whole thing because I'm not doing it justice right now. But um the entire end of this is deglobalization. Leading to de dollarization, involuntary de dollarization, and that will lead to deflation. So, what we are left with is the order of operation from deglobalization to de dollarization to deflation. And in my next post or series, a part of the series, I want to say how that is now extended to Bitcoin, right? From deflation to Bitcoin. And if you're a listener of my content, you probably have a good idea where I'm going with it, but I want to get it all down. So somebody recommended this on the telegram to just get my thoughts down, uh, in a book or in a series of posts or something. And then I can just direct people to those posts instead of, uh, on telegram writing a book. I think people <laughs> might be tired of me writing a whole book in response to stuff, but anyway, I linked to that on the report, uh, community streams. There were two live streams reposted to the Podcast feed, if you're not subscribed to the podcast feed, just search for Bitcoin and markets in any podcast app. FedWatch came out as well last week. Okay, Bitcoin headlines. New laws in Hong Kong allow retail investors to trade Bitcoins. Quote, on Tuesday, Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission released the outcomes of its uh, consultation on retail participation confirming its decision to allow individual investors to trade Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies starting from June 1st. Now, that date is very important. It is coming up extremely quickly. I think they can already trade Bitcoin ETFs based on cash futures on the CME. But this new thing coming out June 1st is opening up more trading opportunities, more ability to... um, use Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin and all that stuff uh, in Hong Kong and to Chinese investors in general. So this is a huge thing. I say it is hard to overstate the significance of this move. June June 1st could see massive volatility as Chinese gain access to Bitcoin again through this Hong Kong law. In previous eras in Bitcoin's history, China was the main source of liquidity and demand. It could easily be a source of massive buying demand because there are trillions of yuan searching for a way to get out of the country. If you add this to new demand, or sorry, if you add this new demand to the constant buying pressure recently announced by Tether and the ongoing buying of MicroStrategy, and I'll add just plebs DCAing, right? $10 a week times a million people. That's a huge amount of demand for cold storage. The circulating supply of Bitcoin is being drained rapidly. All right, next up is Chinese state media removes video on Bitcoin after Binance CEO calls it a big deal. Uh, CZ is a salesman. I won't call him a scammer per se. His exchange has withstood the collapse of the worst elements in the space, but that shouldn't be construed as an endorsement. In this video, and I had to link to it because some reason my uh, ghost implementation on my website wasn't, embedding the tweet but anyway so uh chinese state media is openly discussing bitcoin and the new hong kong law the video has since been taken down in china attempting to minimize the hype and potential capital flight in my opinion but not before it went viral cz's assertion that chinese state affiliated media company talking about crypto is a big deal arises from the fact that china imposed a blanket ban on cryptocurrency activities in 2021. However, recently, sorry, however, recent positive developments in Hong Kong, a special administrative region of China, have sparked two new spec has sparked new speculation about its crypto stance. The positive crypto developments in Hong Kong have already started to influence the Chinese market with Chinese state-owned Greenland looking to apply for a Hong Kong virtual asset trading license. So even you know, companies and businesses from mainland China are applying to this Hong Kong license, trying to get in on the deal, which is huge. Okay. Going into the macro headlines, USPCE data was slightly elevated this week, but let's go into, can I make this bigger? Uh, it doesn't go too much bigger, but you can see the PCE kind of is going a little bit north. But really, when you look at it on the grand scheme of things, is this like a reversal? No, this is not a reversal. I say this is a tiny upward blip that is subject to revision. Overall, this does not change the trend of plunging price indices. All right, next macro story. OPEC credibility on the line with more talk of more ouching. (laughs) I shared this with Telegraph, guys. This was hilarious the way this guy said that. But he says... I. I keep advising them, the speculators, that they will be ouching. They did ouch in April. I don't have to show my cards. I'm not a poker player. But I would just tell them to watch out. And that is the energy minister uh, of of Saudi Arabia. And then there was some back and forth after this from Russia. Russia does not want to cut production because of course they need the money at this time, but Saudi Arabia, uh, there's kind of a back and forth in OPEC plus. So we'll have to see how this turns out. It doesn't really matter though, because the more OPEC cuts, the more they actually hurt their consumer who is going into recession. And yes, it's bad for the producer too, but if the producer hurts their customer, they're just going to extend the hard times. They're gonna extend the recession. You know, and there, there's no quick solution to this because I mean, they're they can cut production if they want to, but they're they don't realize that they're being counterproductive by this. Okay. Well, they probably do know that, but <laughs> they don't care. World's largest real estate market on the brink of collapse, says experts. And I went through this on Fedwatch, but I wanted to make sure I included it here because there's several things out of China this week. And I think this, this one showed the best um, numbers to kind of how to think about just how bad is it getting over there in China? Um, their largest cities. So this is previously owned homes in China's largest cities all showed double digit declines in April. Among them, Beijing fell 37%. Hangzhou fell 32%. Shanghai fell 26%. Nanjing 13%. The worst decline was in Hefei, which plunged 40%. Um, A lot of people I heard out there saying, oh, people are just bearish on China, like irrationally bearish, or they're discriminating against China because they're so bearish on China. Uh, They're just dollar or they're just uh, US bulls. But I think this is a slow motion collapse of the system. It might take years. We don't know uh, to see the full extent of the crisis. We do know that this property collapse that we're seeing that is a collapse, it's being mediated by the CCP. So in that same article, they say, two real estate developers in Kunsan, China, were penalized by Chinese regulators for cutting prices by a large margin. So much so, according to regulators, that they, quote, disrupted the normal order of the real estate market and caused social instability, end quote. Japan-based current affairs commentator, Quo Kai, told the Epic Times on May 13th, Quote, the reason why the Chinese regime won't let real estate developers lower prices is very simple. The chain reaction caused by price cuts will instantly burst the bubble of China's property market, causing a series of economic crises that would be difficult for the CCP to manage. End quote. This gets into the idea that China is just a big bubble, it's about to pop. They have an export led model in a deglobalizing era that we're all going into recession, um, it's not good. And their demographics are plunging. I should have added another story about demographics. There was another good uh, story that I read this week about demographics and how people are just starting to come around. It's starting to be felt in China, in Japan, in Europe, and people are getting worried. I know I would be if I were in one of those places. I mean, I'm worried and I'm in the U.S. with Still barely sustainable demographics over here and falling. So, you know, it's not a good, it's not that whole equation does not add up to China robust recovery, robust economic growth. It just doesn't. And you can't taper a Ponzi scheme. So it's very, very dangerous. China could implode the c c p might be able to keep it together and slow like a slow motion crisis, like I say here, but it might not <laughs> you know what if there is some sort of implosion in China? How will that affect the global economy? It would be horrific, and they're communists, they wouldn't be able to bounce back, so anyway. Let's get on to price. So I do make an announcement here in the price section. I'm changing some of my offerings on the membership tiers on the website uh, to make the Market Pro more accessible to a broader audience. I'm going to be putting it onto the professional tier from the premium tier. Just a heads up on that. So if you are, you know, if you need to update your subscription, please do so and contact me with any problems that you have or any concerns that you have. Um, yeah, and you can sign up there. A new Market Pro should be coming out tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, if I can't get it completed by tomorrow. But uh, it will have probably 20-plus charts on there, guys, going into Bitcoin, going into commodities, and all sorts of things. Okay, Bitcoin, the price. Let's bring up this chart. Um, It was a little bit late, but it's been following my arrow now. So we'll see. It ran into the 50-day moving average. And this downward trending uh, line here, this di- uh, diagonal downtrend, we'll see if it can break through that. We did open up a CME gap, which I shared on Telegram there. So that usually has a uh, gravity to it that might pull the price into closing that gap before we go higher, uh, before we break that 50-day moving average. But if we do, if we can get up to 28500 I think 31000 is right around the corner and chipping away at that the red resistance you see here on the the chart um after that there's not much maybe some around 35 36000 some resistance but really there's blue skies all the way up to around the all time high so this could June 1st I mean it's coming up real soon right June 1st Hong Kong opens up we have Tether buying we have you know all of this uh, bullish action happening on the charts, it really could get out of hand. Um, and that's, I don't really want to see that. Like a lot of people might think that I'm just a a tard saying pump, 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 but no, th- you don't want to see the price go up by two X within a couple weeks, because that means it's going to crash in the other direction and not only hurt a lot of people, but get a lot of negative headlines. And, Yada yada yada. It's not like we can avoid that, but I I would much rather just see one percent a day, <laughs> all the way up. Right? I don't necessarily want to see hundred percent in a week. So, but it looks. I think it looks like that is a possibility. It's. I think that's a much better possibility than crashing below the two hundred day moving average. So, just a heads up on that. All right, let's uh, get back to. The other charts here, weekly chart, you can see we bounced off the 200-day moving average, or sorry, 200-week moving average. And you can tell there's coiling here under this red uh, resistance and the 200-week moving average. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, there is a chance that it breaks down, but I think that's less likely than breaking up with all of this news that we see coming out. The market has shifted. You know, we only have less than a year till the halving. That will start getting priced in by everybody out there in the space that is holding Bitcoin that's, you know has a Bitcoin business. You have to price in the having. And so that's going to start happening here relatively shortly as well. All right. But there is some energy being built up. Now, this was the S&P 500. I forgot to put a label for this chart. but You can see it up at the top left-hand corner. It's the S&P 500 broke out to new a new uh, yearly high close on Friday, going back all the way to August of last year. So I think that's pretty significant. We have uh, still have higher highs and higher lows. Um, I could have put this, the NASDAQ on here because the NASDAQ is looking ridiculously good as well. Of course, a lot of that was around NVIDIA and some other tech companies that had good last couple weeks. But... Uh, Yeah, it's looking bullish. Okay, nothing in this chart. If you look at this chart mixed with Bitcoin and say these two assets have been correlated for the last two years, which direction? I mean, they both look like they're going higher. So that's uh, very interesting. Also, what I did was you can see on this chart, this is the 50-day and the 200-day moving averages. They're both upward sloping right now. Um, And we had a golden cross back in the beginning of February. I went back and I looked for any golden crosses in the history of the, of the a trading view S&P 500 where the golden cross happened before a recession. And the only one I could find is this one. In 1990, we did have a golden cross that went right back into a US recession. Of course, it also hit an all time high before that happened. So. It's not like we were down 20% and then we had a golden cross and we went into recession. No, that, that has never happened. This is the only one that I could find that happened right before a recession. And even this was, I think, like two months before the recession started. And then you would say that uh, before the recession is like labeled a recession, it would be even maybe nine months. So yeah, this happened before, but not immediately before. So anyway, that I thought that was interesting. So that's all for price. I do tend to think we are going up here, but there is a slight chance that we break down. Overall, though, there is no selling demand or there's no uh, sell side risk out there in the Bitcoin space. There's not a lot of, uh, there are a lot of bears going short, but there aren't a lot of people out there that want to sell their Bitcoins right now. There's just not a lot of available supply. Okay, let's keep going to the mining headlines. So U.S. U.S. debt ceiling deal blocks 30% Bitcoin mining tax from a congressman. So as expected and predicted here, like right as this Dame tax came out, I said, this is not going to happen. And then last week I wrote about how uh, Loomis or Lummis, the uh, uh, senator from Wyoming, how she said at the conference that that's not going to happen. And now... It's definitely not happening because it's not in this spending bill. So I thought that this was very interesting. As the details of the agreement reached between Joe Biden and McCarthy on the U.S. debt ceiling were made public Sunday, one notable part of the deal appears to have blocked some taxes proposed by the Biden administration, including the digital asset mining energy excise tax. Very, very interesting, very bullish for Bitcoin as well. Okay, next headline for mining. For the first time ever, the Bitcoin network has dropped below 300 gigakilowatt hours. I don't know what that what that, uh, that number is there, that denomination. kilowatt hours, I'm guessing, in emissions. Uh, so this is from Daniel Batten. He's been doing some great work. New all-time low. For the first time ever, the Bitcoin network has dropped below 300 kilowatt hour emissions. It's taken just over three years to have its emission intensity. No other industry is reducing its emission intensity at such a rate. Boom, shakalaka, baby. I mean, I I don't necessarily care other than this is huge PR victory. Okay, huge PR victory. Uh, I don't really care. I'm not a big environmentalist at all. I, I think the more energy you burn, the better so, uh, but anyway, this is very, very interesting. The emissions from the Bitcoin mining network have continued to decline. Great PR victory there. Okay, let's go into the hash rate. So the hash rate is extremely stable, but starting to tip upward. And you can see this is from SEPA. And over the last couple of weeks or last week, it's had, we've had a slight increase this whole time, even though the highs are not getting any higher. The lows are getting higher, and it does look like it's starting to coil to make a move higher. Of course, there's lots that goes into this. Um, People know that my longtime listeners know that uh, miners are exposed to the deep fundamentals of supply and demand in Bitcoin. So if they are confident and doing well, that must mean that these deep fundamentals of supply and demand are doing well, that they don't see any imbalances or mismatches out there uh this just looks like a very confident chart to me that's what i'm trying to say okay mempool man look at this beauty this is such a beautiful product by mempool.space you can see here first week of may we had those very high fees but since then fees have been extremely stable and actually in the last three days is this downtrend here in the very far right of the chart That could mean that we've peaked, Uh, at least for the time being. We'll have to see if price is volatile here in the next coming weeks. We'll see more Bitcoin transactions. So um, I hope that we can chew through some of this before we get a high volatility move one way or the other, uh, you know, making sure that transaction fees stay contained. I don't mind high transaction fees but what i kind of mind is the uh you know surging of transaction fees i would much rather see nice steady increase in fees over the next five to ten years where in 10 years time you know transaction fees are averaging 25 to 50 dollars we have uh extensive layer twos out there Uh, we have um you know, a couple more halvings under our belt. The The reward is low, but the fees are uh, t- making up the difference. That's what I would like to see. I don't like to see the big spikes and the controversy and the negative headlines and all of that stuff. But, you know, like I said before, earlier in this broadcast is that's just part of the system. Okay. It's, that's, what's going to happen. we might want it to be a smooth adoption process, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be, especially when we have the halvings. And those are designed as hype cycles to have these deflationary type uh, spirals. It's not even deflationary, it's disinflationary spirals um, in the Bitcoin system. So it's a beautiful thing. (laughs) I just wish we we wouldn't see these big spikes. Plus, that's kind of a win. You know, when you have these big spikes, that's a win for UDI. That's a win for the naysayers out there. And if they can get them, you don't want them to win ever. Um, So so I don't like that, but very interesting. What's going on with the mempool. Okay. And lightning network last item of the day. This isn't technically lightning, but it is a layer two. I might change this entire section to layer twos because, uh, I don't know if I want to say this because this is a little bit heretical, but my favorite or I'm the, the layer two that I'm most bullish on is actually sidechains. Uh because they're federated. And I think that nation states will use the pegs to have a derivative currency pegged to Bitcoin, just like we had a derivative currency pegged to gold in the past. Uh, having a side chain with a auditable peg, then, and the side chain can have different rules, you know, within the jurisdiction. But you can still trade; like you can still trade uh, liquid BTC for regular BTC. You can trade liquid BTC for any other side chain BTC. So there's ways that you can move this stuff around uh, between side chains. But the side chains themselves have jurisdiction over them. So I think it's it's a very interesting concept of the way that will allow these nation states to adopt Bitcoin backing their currency, but with still being able to have some jurisdiction over, over their own currency. Anyway, people probably don't like that, but it is a halfway step at least. And I always said that one, most people will not hold their own Bitcoins. Most people will never, and on the planet, think about this, most people will never hold on-chain Bitcoin. Never. So how do we get them onto Bitcoin? How do we get Bitcoin out there as a global reserve currency, perhaps as a gold, in, you know, an international Bitcoin standard? You have to have layer twos and lightning is not the answer because lightning, you have to open and close channels. You have to have, uh, you know, balances, uh, liquidity, all that stuff. I think the top, maybe 10% of Bitcoin holders will hold on-chain Bitcoin. They will use Bitcoin, um, you know, uh, have their self-custody and all that. And that top 10% is going to hold 50% of the Bitcoin. So some sort of weird distorted Pareto distribution there. But that is what I think going forward. Lightning is great and it will continue to evolve and solve problems and be be really good for Bitcoin. Uh, Liquid will do the same. But this is a sorry, I got on a tangent there. This is another layer two called ARC, and it was has been worked on for a while, but they've just finally announced that they are going live. And let me read this little snippet here. So ARC allows recipients to receive payments without acquiring inbound liquidity while preserving their receiver privacy. ARK is as private as wabi-sabi. Does he mean wasabi? I don't know. As convenient as on-chain and as cheap as Lightning. ARC is a trustless distinct layer two protocol with multilateral exit. Arc service providers, ASPs, cannot steal users' funds or link senders and receivers. Users retain self-custody and can revert their funds to the base layer if something goes wrong on the second layer. So very, very interesting. Yet another layer two for Bitcoin. This can probably be worked in to also be Compatible with Liquid to be compatible with Lightning. I don't. I'd like to see that you can settle back to the base layer. You can revert back to the base layer. It says here, but being able to with exit your funds from Arc, but not to the base layer. Maybe exit your funds to Liquid or exit your funds to Lightning somehow. Um, that is, I think, will be the goal, the the Holy Grail being able to swap between layer twos seamlessly without set, you know cryptographically but without settling to the to on-chain maybe settling once a day as a large settlement or something. Um, it's just a scalability issue. So I'll probably get beat up in the comments for this one. <laughs> That's what I'm saying right now. Um okay guys that is it for this issue of the Bitcoin fundamentals report. I want to thank you for joining me. I'm Ansel Lindner. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. Make sure you're signed up for the free report and also check out ways to support me to make this a sustainable full-time gig. Thanks everybody. See you on the next one. Bye.